The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Welcome to the latest edition of the SWN Podcast. I am your host, as always, Billy, and I am joined this week uh, by that damn dirty dog himself. Uh, you may know him in the Scottish circles as the Mundertaker. It is Gene Money. Welcome to the show. What's taking, Billy? How are we doing? I, 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 I'm so excited uh, to have you on the show. Uh, like I said, just before I hit record, I, I didn't realise how... how much you've been in discovery until started going through the, the matches i was like my god you, you've we've done a lot <laughs> and i didn't realize it so i had to had to speak to you and, and just go through it and also your outside of discovery stuff is just insane also but we'll we'll get to it the first question is always the same though it's the it's the quintessential question we ask every wrestler how did you get into pro wrestling where did you get how what got you hooked I, I, what got me hooked was the video games. Like I had no interest in wrestling whatsoever. Um, and then when I was about, I don't know, 13, maybe 12, 13, I went around to one of my mates house and he was playing on one of the SmackDown games. And I don't know what it was, but I absolutely like fell in love with that more than wrestling itself. So there was months, I'd say, where I was playing the game and not actually watching the TV because I enjoyed it. Um, and then one day I was at my dad's house because he had Sky and uh, there was an episode of SmackDown on and it was uh, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, SummerSlam 02 rematch. Uh, and it was a belter. It was an absolute belter. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this, I do like this. I do like this. I now understand the characters on the game. Uh, so O2 SmackDown, I can't remember what game that would have been, but... Uh... Was there anyone that caught your eye straight? Who, who did you play with the most? Uh, RVD was like, was an absolute, I think RVD, Edge, Eddie Guerrero were like my three faves when I grew up. They were just all completely different, all incredible athletes and just, just the charisma that oozed off them, whether it was just naturally like RVD or over the top like Eddie it was just yeah just absolutely resonated with me like I was a bit of a performing kid like I did musical theatres and stuff like that when I was a well you know a wee little chipolata uh and yeah just I always had that kind of entertainment bug in me and then wrestling kind of filled that hole for me uh what was it like seeing these guys then in real in real life on the tv then so you saw Ray, Ray and Kurt uh, but seeing likes of Edge uh, RVD and, and Eddie, so SmackDown era would have been them anyway. And what was it like actually seeing them in real life? It, it was um, it was just it was sensational. Like these are just guys that made you excited to see what happened next. Like they made you want to tune in to find out you know what was going on. And at the end of the day, that's all wrestling should be: just making people want to come back for more. And they bloody did the job, didn't they? Absolutely. I mean, uh, Eddie, there was a, a thing went round on Twitter this morning. Uh, I don't know if it's a new trend um, of just, it, there was a picture of Eddie, someone just put a bracket next to it and then put no bad matches. And then I was trying to think to myself, 
I can't think of a bad Eddie Guerrero match. There's always yeah. something. Whether it might not be perfect by any stretch, there's always a moment. There's always something that keeps you coming back for another Eddie match and each time. Um, so you went, so that was what, 13, you said, 12, 13, you, you started watching uh, it. How did you actually go to start wrestling? I didn't actually get into wrestling itself until I was in my 20s. I was uh, early 20s. I went to university and I'm just going to pop out for one second. My cat's trying to eat the leftover dinner. I'll be back in one second. Oh, no yeah. yeah, get out of here, you fat cat. Right, I'm back. Um, yeah, it was early 20s. Uh, I was at university and I saw just an advert for a wrestling school in Nottingham. And I thought, yeah, why not? You know, worst case scenario is I'm rubbish at this and it's not as good as it was in my imagination. But it was, no, I, I bloody loved it. So I went training with like sticks at House of Pain to start with. Um, and yeah, it was just, just, yeah, I caught the bug immediately. I, I remember my first session to a T, like I remember exactly who trained me doing what. Um, exactly what we did in the session and yeah it was a fantastic place to start um, so you, you said you had a bit of a theatre background so you had the, you had the charisma side kind of there um, the physical side of it though did you, did you do any sports growing up was there anything like that that you kind of had a little bit of cardio stamina going into it or was it a case of, of just trying it and then the, the other bits will, will come if I like it nah on at all. I had sports background, uh, a castle. Like, it had, I had nothing to do with sport. I played sport in PE and that was it. I've always been like a naturally strong and big lad, but I, like, I didn't go to the gym until I started wrestling. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I had no sports background whatsoever. Um, uh, it was baffling that someone like me, because I've, I've been, I was renowned in my family for having bad coordination. I was someone who'd fall over a blade of grass. Like, I, I just, yeah, I had no coordination or anything. And, but then, like, wrestling, I just got into wrestling. I was like, man, really wish I could have done this earlier in my life. Like, I wish I'd have got into sports and fitness much earlier. Because, um, yeah, yeah, it's it helped me wonders, like, uh, from a physical perspective uh <laughs> so yeah i i walked in with a bag of charisma and absolutely nothing else uh <laughs> yeah and so it's one of these things where i you know, there was that really like dirty word of you know wwe being called sports entertainers and not wrestlers but i'm someone who went into this industry going yeah i'm a sports entertainer i said that wrestling malarkey i'm here to put smiles on faces well, I mean, when, when you say that, it is a case of when you come from a come out of a show, uh, kids especially, they're not going to remember if there was a, a 10 minute uh, amazing uh, catch wrist lock that, that did all over the place. They're going to remember the guy who came out and um, kicked another guy in, in the, the butt and everyone cheered. That's what that's the bit they're going to remember. Um, so it's trying to find that balance, I suppose, as a wrestler to be entertaining to everyone. Um but as long as you keep coming back and paying money, then really you've, you've done your job at the end of the day. For me, from my perspective, I wrestle for the dads. So, like, I've always gone into this uh, wrestling perspective. I mean, it was 
wasn't until I started working over 18 gigs I kind of got this mindset that I wrestle for the dads so in my head the kids are gonna love wrestling because wrestling's wrestling wrestling's amazing wrestling superheroes right in front of you you can go get an autograph from half time kids are gonna love wrestling and I'm gonna be quite gender normative here so my apologies uh the mums are happy because the kids are happy stereotypically the dads don't want to be there they want to be watching the football it's the weekend but instead they're watching the kids and watching you know some big lads fighting in shiny knickers and it's uh you know they don't want to be there so if you entertain the dads then they're going to be happy with it they're going to be more happy to bring their kids back to this they're going to be more happy for their kids to buy your merch like if the dads are entertained you've got wrestling in my opinion (laughs) Uh, absolute agreement because I know that when I go to shows up here um, and if they're local like literally five minutes from my house uh, my, my dad will come with uh, like my cousin's kids because they're like five and, and that and he'll only go if there's maybe one or two people that he's heard of on the show because he knows mm. that they're just there to entertain sure. him his his sort uh, who's just coming to look after the kids and he'll come out going ah. oh, that's quite funny almost like they're lampooning wrestling but in a way where the kids don't get it that that's what they're doing, but the dads are like, uh, you know, you know it's the real, but you're 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 uh, having a good time. You're you're entertaining me at the end of the day. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so according to Cage Match, who, if anyone's been listening to past episodes, has been so poor right now, um, <laughs> it says your debut was in 2015. I think it was a tag. I think match. my debut was Gene Money was 20. 15 like i'd done stuff before then but as gene money was 2015 yeah right so there's probably another profile out there that's got just pre-2015 okay so before then then your first match uh you've been you've been training for however long it's been a house of pain uh, i think it was london school of lucha i read as well yeah i went house of pain and then i went london school of lucha libre and ipw when i moved down south um uh, and yeah, then more recently, hustle. And like, I still enjoy training. I still love getting in the ring weekly and just getting things done. So now I'm training at Pursuit up in Sheffield. I've moved again. Uh, and yeah, fantastic training school. But yeah, I've, I've trained a, quite a few places. So you've been told you got your first match, uh, just as yourself, not as, not as Gene Money just yet. Um, did you think you were ready? Uh, do you remember your? being told what your feelings are before the match uh me through that yes so i was i was nervous as hell the first time i knew i was ready i think i was i was a late bloomer to wrestling like i was one of these people you see in the schools who wasn't a natural at it who didn't pick it up straight away like there's people who had matches long before me on the you know who'd been training for similar times because they got it you know quicker and me, I was more like just a, a slow draining sponge. I was taking in all of that information, but quite quite slow. So when I got out there the first time, I was I was very ready. And it was uh, me and a guy called Phil Ward in a tag match against uh, Greg Burridge and Jimmy Havoc. Um, and I I got the tar beaten out of me, but yeah, you know, I, I I learned a lot. Um, I just remember being absolutely nervous as hell going into that match like and it was a lad um, I'm still good friends with now called uh, Big John uh, Fug uh, Lucha Britannia he just basically said look 
you might be nervous, but you know, Johnny Lavelle, who was my character at the time, he's a professional wrestler. This is his job. Why is he going to be nervous? This is just another day at the office for him. And I was like, oh yeah, I am that character, and I should probably just be that character. Uh, you know, it was a good match, all in all. I mean, it probably wasn't looking back at it now. Maybe it was absolutely rotten, but you know, I remember looking back fondly at that match and going, yeah, that was good. Can't talk about many of the people in the match anymore, but I had fun. So, I mean, so did you did you go in with the character or was it just Johnny Lavelle? Was that just your name? Was there a, a background? Was there a character to go with it? Or was it just, that's your name, out you go? I, I wanted to... I hated hipsters at the time. Um, so I wanted to be a hipster just because I wanted to parody that kind of nature. But that involved me having to go out there and spend a lot of money on hipster clothes and stuff like that. And I was broke as at the time. So I was like, you know what? Maybe not. Um, and so I, I don't know why I went down this avenue because it's not me at all. I went for like this um, kind of like a Chelsea playboy kind of gimmick, kind of what Tate Mayfair's does now a lot better than me. Um, and then I was just in a match and then another lad got thrown into the match who had been wrestled for years before. And it was like, oh, I want you guys to be a tag team. And this guy didn't have a gimmick anymore. And so it was like, do you want to just be kayfabe brothers? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so the Lavelle brothers came about. Um, yeah, and we were we were like a tag of, uh, uh, yeah, posh socialites kind of thing. It was it was great to just, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun to kind of do stuff that isn't me. You know, a completely different character. We, you know, we had catchphrases, we had matching gear we you know we had a match against Ultimo Dragon like some daft stuff in there you know because um, we are the Lavelle brothers we're not just class acts we are upper class acts um you know a lot a lot of nonsense um kind of uh kind of toyed with an incest angle between us uh, we never like did anything, but we kind of always made out that me and my brother were closer than we should have been. Um, yeah, we we liked playing with kind of comedic norms, you know. Proper when we're in the ring, we can get it done. But there was a lot of comedy and shenanigans in every match. Well, there's one word I never thought I'd have on a podcast. Incest was was the one that, that was <laughs> probably up there. Um, <laughs> right. So where to go from there? Uh, so. You did the, the, that, and you were that character. When did Gene Money come into the scene there? Was that just you, you found yourself? I mean, I suppose with, with the Lavelles, you got to explore your theatre side, your, your uh, creative side. But how did you go from that to Gene Money? So uh, my tag team partner left the scene, um, bad mental health, wanted to get away. You know, wrestling, wrestling can be a tough environment in some areas. It could be as toxic because it is lovely like and this was yeah like 2015 so you know it, it was it was a tough it was a tough place on the scene um and I think he left because of all that so I was left on my own as a posh wrestler and then you had the likes of Jonathan Windsor Tom Chamberlain uh Richard Parliament also doing kind of posh gimmicks on the scene much better than what I was doing. And it was the case of they were, um, 
they were getting booked more places. They had their, you know, USP. And for me, my USP was I was part of the tag team. I was a tag wrestler at the time. And it was like, oh, without my tag team partner, how do I fit in? How am I going to get booked on this show over someone who essentially has the exact same gimmick? And I, I knew I wouldn't. So um, I made the decision one night in a dive bar in London. Um, there was a guy who just kept uh, describing everything as money. Like it, it was a good word. He, was, he described everything as money. Oh, this is money. That is money. Oh man, that's so money. Blah, 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 blah. And he was just he was just challenging people at pool all night. And then I just slammed my quid down on the desk. He's like, yo, man, what, what's your name? And I said, I'm Gene effing money. And uh, let's, let's go. Drilled me at pool. Like I lost so quickly. But um, I just put on a persona when I played him because every time he said money, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to me. And I went a bit crazy and a bit, a bit charismatic with it. And I was like, I like this. I like this. This is ridiculous. So I can't remember. What's Cage Match say? What did Cage Match say the first Gene Money match was? Uh, so I, did, I had written down. It's definitely 2015. Hang on. Let's let's go straight to the source. Uh, I've got your profile here. Gene Money, Cage Match. And uh, you can review if it's wrong. Uh, so you've got 183 matches here. I'm just really excited to see what it says. It is Rise Underground, uh, Gene Money and Lance Lawrence of the Buffy Club against the fabulous uh, Bakewell Boys. So, yeah, that definitely wasn't my first uh, match as Gene Money. Uh, I can't remember what my first match... Actually, I think it was at RCWA, Will Ospreay's promotion in Essex. Um, I think that was my first match. I can't remember who it was against for the love of me. But um, I do remember the match with... Uh, uh, the Bakewell boys, um, and Lance, yeah. So Lance and I had teamed a bit as the Buffet Club. Uh, Jerry Bakewell was also in the Buffet Club. Uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we mucked about. We, we, you know, we were, we were a parody at the end of the day. This is when Bullet Club was at its peak. And we got in there before all the, you know, parody, well, not before all the parody shirts started, but parody shirts weren't as rife as they are still to this day. Um, and, yeah, we just... We're just lads who loved eating, and literally that was it. And you know, if you want to book us as a tag team, that was great. So me and Lance had a lot of fun. Lance was one of these lads who was painfully gifted. Like it's, it bothers me that Lance didn't go further in wrestling than he did because guy had talent for days. Um, yeah, and I remember that match. I, I used to come out in like this bright, shiny gold coat and. Uh, yeah, I can't remember at all like how we did anything in that match. I just remember it was a venue that was half indoors, half outdoors. It was raining outside. It was mid-November, I think. And we got a good reaction. We got a lot of laughs and things like this. I'll put it this way. I never expected to be a comedy wrestler. I always wanted to be a serious wrestler. Don't know why. Like, I know I was a sports entertainer, but I never saw myself going down to the comedy route. I saw myself more as a Miz type in my head, never like the comedy route. Um, and I don't know how I fell into comedy wrestling, but I remember absolutely that I got my ass out of that match. And um, it was, you know, we got the laughs. We did, again, I can't remember 100%. I just remember we got a good reaction. We got laughs and we got brought back, which was great. And now I'm Rise Champion. 
all, all well it ends well. Buffett Club then. Uh, like you say, mm. it, was, it was the peak of the of the party, well, the start of the parity t-shirts. Um, I know myself, I've got I've got one or two uh, of, of these kind of club t-shirts. Um, the, the, the eating promos, I don't know what people think of them, because um, I know there's a bit of a weirdness when it comes to watching people just close up eat ASMR kind of thing. Uh, but the whole Buffet Club thing, people like to eat. Was that pretty much it? Or was there, was there a big pool of, well, of people was, coming with that? It was mainly just me and Rob Cage. Like, we, we were just lads who love food. Like, I wasn't a slender boy by any means. Rob, you know, Rob wasn't a slender boy by any means. And, yeah, I, um, I remember Rob coming up to me and saying, right, there's, there's a promotion. They want the buffet club. Um, Jerry can't do it. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he's like, it's in Edinburgh. It's called Discovery. Um, I've, I've, put, I'll, I've sorted out everything. Just need a yes or no. So I was like, yeah, let's go to Edinburgh. Great. Um, and then our first match in Discovery was like a, a elimination tag gauntlet or something along those lines. Um, it was the first match on the card. And me and Bobby hid under the ring for the entire match just to come out and, uh, you know, make that surprise. But we must have been under the ring for a solid hour and a half, maybe two hours, because we had to get in there before the crowds came in, before anyone could see us. Then the entire match, which, tell you, don't go, don't go under a ring while a match is happening. It is scary as, like, you just say, bam, 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 and you're like, Bobby. I've almost soiled my pants. This noise is getting too bad. But like, I I, I got booked at Discovery on a whim, and then, you know, I think Discovery was where Buffet Club kind of got its feet. You know, that's where we did the most things. Well, that that's perfect segue to where our, our uh, kind of journey begins in this kind of podcast where we speak about Discovery, because uh, this is. This is how I've qualified you for the Scottish Wrestling Network podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, your first match. I mean, I'm thinking, if you've been on the ring the whole time, I was looking to see who your opponents were. Uh, you, had, you had Fight Club and Liam Thompson's not a light man. He's quite broad and quite, like, low to the ground, but very heavy. Uh, you had Wild Lions, uh, which, of course, Andy Wild and, and Joy Lions. Not small dudes either. And uh, Comic Zone was there, guys, uh, uh, Rollins and Dells and Dare. Again, not small guys. I can't begin to imagine. Was there a bit of an ear ringing coming out after after everyone else? Oh yeah, full on tonightus when we got out of there. Yeah, you couldn't hear the you couldn't hear the fans of the ringing in my ears. Like it was. Um, but yeah, I think it was just ended up being us and the Wild Lions at the end cheated to win. Um, and yeah, that was that that was about it really for the first match. We it was very short for us. Um, I can't remember exactly what we did, but I remember we went over. And then the next show was supposed to be the rematch, but uh, Andy Wild, I think, got called into work. So it was a handicap match. We did a fake segment that we'd kidnapped Andy Wild or something daft like that. Um, yeah, that led into a fight uh, in a match against Fight Club. Um, so we, <laughs> me and Bobby were just backstage and we were supposed to be going on, but Fight Club hadn't shown up yet. They were doing, like, the double, so they were working the camps, then they were coming to Discovery. Um, they get there about five minutes before the match. They're banging on the gear. 
this, that, and the other. Um, <laughs> and then we're just about to go out and uh, good fight. It's just like, I've left my gear at the camps. I'm going to see if I can find anything really quickly to put on. I don't have my gear with me. Um, <laughs> and so me and Bobby go out there. Alan's like, cut a promo. Like, yeah, take your time. Cut a promo, this, that, and the other. We were having a feud with Ryback at the time, um, which is a weird sentence to say, because he tried to trademark the Buffet Club after he got released by WWE. Um, and he shoot tried to trademark it, and we put in full... Uh, <laughs> we claimed to get his trademark dismissed. So he'd spent money on getting his trademarking lawyer and things like that, only for two fat lads from North of England to just kind of sabotage that. So we got fully blocked against him. And um, so I think we cut a promo on Ryback or something like that. And then Ryback's music came on. Um, my reaction, oh no, oh my God, the book Ryback. Uh, Bobby's reaction was to stand dead in the ring because he, he, he had no idea what Ryback's music was. Um, and out comes Liam Thompson on his own. Uh, and I could just see Alan in the back just going, two on one, two on one. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> we just had this whole handicap match on the fly. We turned it into a false count anywhere or something daft like that. You know, I, I, I think we went over again, but. Me and Bobby just had this knack of having accidental handicap matches at Discovery. Um, and uh, we just went undefeated for, like, ages as a tag team. Uh, yeah, I was noticing that. I was, I said, right down my notes here. And I was thinking, right, they've won that one. They've won that one. They've won that one. And, I mean, include wins against uh, Polar Promotions as well, I've got noted here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in 2000, it was 2017, so they were pretty much the tag team in Scotland uh, around about that time. Maybe I can't think of anyone who was probably could touch them at that point. Um, but what was your, what was your like, feeling for Discovery when you started going there? Because the crowd's it's a bit of a weird crowd. It's like a hybrid. There's family, but there's also the big indie fans as well that's kind of merged together. Um, so what were your, your thoughts with Discovery crowd and, and how you reacted to them? So that was like the biggest thing for me um, at the time, like going into Discovery was like my biggest opportunity in wrestling. And I, I loved it because I like that indie crowd mixing with the family crowd, you kind of learn, you learn on the job to get that reaction from both sides. And, you know, as someone who, you know, you try to be funny and things like that, you can, you can get that appeal across to, uh, you know, to both, areas and you learn how to do that on the job which is a fantastic thing that's why i've loved discovery because you've got you've got the passionate diehards of wrestling they're here for those absolute techers they're after those absolute main event quality matches and then you've got the kids um who are just you know there for it i remember i remember it was joe coffee v joe hendry in a steel cage match at discovery and I saw a guy lose his mind for it. I mean, he was a bit drunk, but he lost his mind for that match. So when there was a kick out, he jumped out of his seat and fell off the balcony and people had to grab him by his trousers to rescue him. So he didn't kill the people underneath him. Like a crowd that passionate is mind blowing. So that's why I've always loved Discovery fans. Like 
I hadn't worked that style and now I don't want to work anything but that style of crowd because it's it's so nice to be a part of. I mean, when you were booked for Discovery and I, and I saw the name, it was like, unfamiliar to me because if it's if it's not say Scotland, I'm very, I don't know much. Uh, or, of, of course, there'd be in that. And I went to check like your Facebook and checked everything like that. I, I thought you'd been around for a lot longer than you had because you just seemed like this confident big deal. I was like, oh, I've read a little bit about him. This guy's amazing. It's cheap money. Of course it is. Why am I so? I, of course, of course, I know who this guy is. Like a bit, like a hipster, trying to go. <laughs> yeah, I know who he is. That's, of course. Um, and then you came into like on Civil War after that, and you became the the first official Discovery Tag Team Champions. So you're on pretty much most shows, um, sixteen, seventeen. Uh, and you were in, in the ring with like sort of uh, New Age Click, uh, yeah. Fight Club, uh, Dave Conrad, Deviation I've got here, Headbanders. And then December 17 rolls around for your first loss, but you're in the ring with the Young Bucks. Yeah, I was uh, mental. Like, yeah. They, they were, uh, I mean, we didn't do much with the Young Bucks, you know, just us and them. But it was, um, it was a great opportunity to be there because... Uh, nobody knew at this time, but Bobby was going to be leaving the industry um, after this match. I think he had one more match at OTT, uh, and then he was leaving wrestling. Um, uh, and nobody kind of knew that. So it was a really, really nice send-off for me and Bobby just as a team. Um, it was an elimination Fatal 4-Way tag match with Polos, Young Bucks, and um, Kings of Catch. Uh and it was one of those things where me and Bobby, again, accidentally, we had no intention of this, but again, turned into almost an incestuous relationship between a boy and his uncle. Um, again, I don't know why these things happen to me. Um, but, like, we said we'd disband the, bullet, uh, the buffet club at the, if, if we lost tonight. You know, we were so confident in our ability that we were going to beat the Young Bucks. We were going to kick them out of the Bullet Club. We were going to make them disband the Bullet Club so the Buffet Club could reign supreme. Um, I remember, like, it didn't matter about all the flips and all the kicks and all the pops and this, that, and the other. Um, the reaction <laughs> that I just remember the most was, like, I accidentally Larry at Bobby, um, which leads into the finish uh, of us getting eliminated by the Polos. Um, and me and Bobby are just staring at each other in the middle of the ring because we realise this is it. I've accidentally cost us the buffet club, and that's it, that's it. The dream's over for us, and Bobby looks like he's going to swing for me, but in the end, we just have a big hug and a big kiss in the middle of the ring. That, that noise of the kiss in the ring and the crowd coming up with both elation and disgust was just it was so nice to get that reaction when you're in a match against people like the young bucks and they're they're popping not for the stuff but for the character that you've been able to build and that was just it was it was a really nice send-off and then we you know take the super kick from the books and we're out of the ring like i we never got a photo of them tearing up our buffet club shirts afterwards it was just like that's a memory that i'll take with me for a while but it was um you know, you, I got to shout out to Alan. Like, these opportunities wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for him taking chance on me and Bobby, the Buffet Club. Because, you know, 
not many people had taken chances on me at that point. Um, there are very few promotions who did, and everyone, fortunately, who did, has you know hasn't regretted it yet. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed, I can keep it that for Alan. So, so the young bucks, what were their reaction to? I mean, I've heard how they plan a match, which just sounds insane. But uh, what was their reaction to the the Buffet Club shirts? And were they just a case of I oh, make your money kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. I think that was it. Like, I think it doesn't matter how many how many Buffet Club shirts we had, they all remind people that the Bullet Club exists. So I think parodies are good for their brand because they're the originators. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter how many times you see one of our shirts or one of our aprons. Like, they, you know, it's reminding you that they still exist. So, you know, it's like people saying woo after a chop. doesn't matter who's doing the chop. You're thinking of Ric Flair afterwards. Um, so yeah, but they were really cool with it. They were really, you know, really cool. And I've heard things about them planning matches, but it was easy. It was so easy. Just like they were so good. And, you know, I'd love to the opportunity to do something like that again. Now that I'm, you know, last poo of a wrestler. Um, back to the Ryback thing for a minute. Did, did you ever offer to send him one of your shirts or? Uh, he blocked us long before we had chance. I think, like, when he said that he was trademarked, he was doing the Buffet Club. Like, oh, my God, his logos were abysmal. Like, they look like clip art. Um, yeah, and I think enough people tagged us in his tweets that it was like, he just blocked us immediately. So we, we never had a chance. Uh, I'll, I'll tag him in there. Still, you're ready. I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> Make sure he finds out. Uh, so, so yeah, after that, then um, just just a, a note about uh, Uncle Bobby. Of course, um, I one of the first shows I went to was, was up in Aberdeen. I got to see Rob Cage against uh, Billy Gunn. It's <laughs> yeah, that that was something. And I ended up bumping into him um, not long afterwards at Dundee show. And nice this guy. He, he came up to we were chatting for ages, and he was going to saying that because I spoke to him about the Billy Gunn match, and yeah, absolutely great guy from from who I've met uh, anyway from the stories I have with him um Discovery Wrestling did ask where Uncle Bobby is is there is there a farm somewhere that he's uh enjoying his fruits of his labor Uncle Bobby's gone into um into cryo so he's actually frozen right now um yeah we're not allowed to dethor him uh until the, the time's right so fingers crossed, you know, one day he will be back. I can't guarantee it. Um, the note hasn't alluded to when we can thaw him out yet. Um, he's, he's, he's currently housed next to Walt Disney's brain. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed he will be back because I love that man. I, I know he's... The thing with Bobby, I know he's rubbed some people up the wrong way in the past or people have rubbed him up the wrong way. Regardless, like, he deserved to be, you know more places than he was because he was insanely charismatic um what he did like he was he was really good like um again you talk about billy gunn he's wrestled so many big names in this industry um but yeah i uh when he left i was worried like because he was my he was how i got into discovery for one but i thought without him what the hell am I going to do? There's just this 
charismatic void now. Like, what is Gene Money without the Buffet Club, without Rob Cage? And by Rob leaving the industry, it forced me to take Gene Money in weird and wonderful places because, frankly, I had to so that I could maintain this, you know, sensation of weirdness. Um, so as sad as it was to see Rob leave the industry, um, it, it, it worked wonders for me. And like, I, I saw Rob not too long ago, um, you know, walkie-talkie into his cryopod and he was just saying that he's glad he left because of how well everyone who was associated with him has done since. I mean, that's the, we spoke, spoke a little bit earlier about like your last tag team partner, uh, well, your first tag team partner leaving due to mental health. Um, I would rather see people leave and be well than just carry on and get worse. So at least they're, him and, and, and the first tag team partner were, were kind of mature enough or smart enough to go, right, this isn't doing well for me. I'm just going to just go. It's, it's uh, obviously it's best for them and I'd rather see that than uh, people just try and run themselves ragged for a hundred people each week. It just, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Let's pick this things up because we started dipping the mood towards there, uh, towards <laughs> the tone towards the end. Um, speaking of guys, guys like uh, Ryback and, and Bullet Club, is, uh, have you ever heard from uh, Ainsley Harriet about the Ainsley Lariat? No, I genuinely contacted him though, trying to get, me and Bobby wanted to do a whole massive WrestleMania entrance for our Young Bucks match where we'd get walked down to the aisle by Ainsley Harriet. Because um, there was uh, there was that whole... Uh, the Kings of Catch had the app to burner. Um, uh, the Young Bucks had the Meltzer driver. So they'd had Meltzer and Apta do promos backing them. And so we were just trying to get a promo from... Uh, Ainsley Harriet, we've actively tried to get him, but nah, nah, he, uh, we, we never got hold of him, unfortunately, which, which sucks, but, uh, you know, a boy can still dream. No, we're still holding out for, for him to be on Cameo or wherever the other one is. <laughs> uh, it was a web, Voice MD or something, I don't know what it is. Uh, I keep looking at him going, oh, I, I wouldn't mind it, wouldn't mind uh, putting a little bit of money and getting a weird promo for, for the show, but yeah, it's, sometimes you can probably make a little bit of money off that. Um, anyway, so you're on your own now. Uh, not to sound so dramatic. You're on your Ow. own now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the first match I got noted after that is uh, against Session Moth Martina in Discovery. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, I literally spoke about this match yesterday with someone because it was, it was mental. I'm not sure if this was my first match. I think this was my first match against Martina I ever had. Um. And it was an absolute pleasure. Like, we dicked about so much. Like, I can't remember much about the match. I remember I pretended I was psychic and I could predict the end of the match perfectly. I was going to do some Darren Brown stuff. So I wrote down the finish to the match, put it in an envelope, put the envelope in the side of the ring. And I was like, I'm going to prove to you all that I'm so confident I'm going to win this match. I've seen into the future and I've seen the finish. We end up fighting. We end up fighting to the back. We come out in each other's clothes. It's like we do a whole costume swap at the end. I hit her with something and then I'm like, 
I had you up for the Ainsley Larrier and I'm like, no, wait, 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 check the envelope, check the envelope. You know, I get the announcer to go and pick up the envelope, give it to someone in the crowd, give it to someone in the crowd. I'm like, read it, read it. And they're like, Gene Money gets distracted by uh, the audience and Session Moth Martina hits him with a DDT. And I'm like, no, that's not what he said. That's not what I wrote down. No, 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 no. Turn around, distracted, DDT, one, two, three. I thought it was a stupid but very entertaining finish on that day. Um, yeah, if... Yeah, I remember, I remember like Jordan Devlin being backstage and me just going, you got any feedback for that? And he, he mean, he, he's not a fan of comedy wrestling. Um, uh, and it was like, you should always look like you're trying to win a match, even when you're doing like the comedy style. Uh, but then another one of my, like I, I spoke to one of my wrestling uh, influencers, one of someone I've really looked up to, and they just went, nah, if crowd are reacting, it's good. That's all you need. So, you know, wrestling's a, a weird beast. But that was the first time I rest, wrestled Session Moth. Um, I think I've wrestled her once or twice more at Discovery, but it's always an absolute dream. She's a phenomenal performer. Um, yeah, but based on that, I mean, wrestling is supposed to be just a variety show. It's a circus. That's what it is. That's where it came from. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a circus. So you're going to have the funny bits. You're going to have the serious matches. And like we said near the start, more, more often than not, people are going to remember the the, the moments, the funny matches, uh, than they are the big serious technical things. Um, personally, that that's from my opinion anyway. Not don't want uh, Jordan Devlin to to say to tell me otherwise. That's just how I think of it. Um, yeah, so that wasn't your only running with Martina, as, as we established. Uh, I mean, as far as it's not really, it's not really a subject nowadays about intergender wrestling. But was there? Did you have any any detractors saying, "Oh, you shouldn't be"? fighting a woman or anything like that that came came from it. I mean, nowadays, wrestlers are just wrestlers. Yeah, and that's how it should be. Like, I don't even like the term intergender sometimes because it automatically says that it's at different levels almost. Um, I think a lot of women in wrestling have been hindered by bad booking as, a po- as opposed to, you know, they're not... For, in history, women haven't been booked as well in wrestling as men have. Uh, and that sucks. It really does. So, like, it's um, it's it's great to have, you know, what they call intergender matches, but it should just be wrestler A, B, wrestler B. Like, one of my favorite matches I've ever had was me v. Charlie Evans at Resurgence, where I lost my Resurgence Championship against her. That was last March, just before the pandemic hit. Um, and we didn't tell the story of I'm a man, you're a woman. We told the story of I am a large man. I have, I am a good guy, uh, who for the first time she made me tap out in a tag match that the previous show. So I'm going into this match as someone who is desperate to retain this because they don't want to let it go. She is so coming in some into the match, knowing that she can beat the champion and, you know, she's got that confidence behind her, despite the fact she's a foot and a half shorter than me and I am a large man. Like, that's the dynamic of the match. It's not man v woman. It's all the subtle nuances. And you put that together and you've got a great match. Like, I, I urge anybody to check that match out. Go check out Wrestling Resurgence, another promotion who took a shot on me and fingers crossed they didn't regret it. But it's, uh, yeah, 
intergender or whatever you want to call it, I am all for it. So long as the story gets told properly, so long as it's not, you know, man's up here, woman's down here or anything daft like that, it's great. Like, play it like a big man, little man match. Play it like speed v power. Play it however you need to. But it's just both people want to get the win. How they do that is up to them. But that's the, that should be the story in a wrestling match where it's person with one gender versus person with another gender. That's, that's all it should be. I think uh, Rey Mysterio kind of provided the template for how to do it. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. do it believably. Um, as far as doing the comic, comedy gimmick, of course, uh, I mean, the next match I have on my list, where it's, it's, it's a big one, so I'm just going to try and work my way to it. Um, when it comes to comedy wrestling, was there any fear of being compared to the likes of, I mean, 2015, Grado, uh, like that kind of big funny man, not the most athletic looking uh, kind of wrestler. Is there any fear of being compared to that? Or are you just trying to do your own thing? Away from 100% there was. Like, um, the thing is, I don't want to compete with Grado because he is a phenomenal comic talent. He is so good at what he does. I don't think I'll ever be that funny. Um, but he's a different style of comedy to me. So I did get, you know, you know I did get... No, people I was just, you know, diet grado or things like that when I worked up in Edinburgh. Um, and I can understand where people come from. I'm a fat, funny lad. For me, I've never, right now, I'm sorry, I don't want to be just that comedy guy at all. I want to be the entertaining guy. I'm, I'm a professional wrestler. I'm a sports entertainer, but I can go. I can go in the ring. I want to be seen as someone who is not a comedy wrestler, but a wrestler, a good wrestler who is funny. Um. Uh, people like Trent Seven, um, they've proven that that is possible. He's someone who can be booked anywhere on the roster. He can be booked in your main event for the championship. He can be booked in a gimmick match earlier on in the card. It doesn't matter. He's going to put smiles on faces. He's going to give you an entertaining match. Um, that's that's kind of how I see, well, at least where I want to see myself. Um, yeah, there's always going to be comparisons when you're being funny, but it's one of these things where if you go onto a card and it's just banger after banger after banger after banger of serious wrestling or catch as catch can or people just kicking the living lights out of each other. Oh, I think my headphones have just died. Uh, can you hear me okay? I can still hear you, yeah. Good. Um, yeah, when you, you see those cards with just banger after banger after banger on there, it's... It, Sometimes you've got to go out there and just go, no, I'm just going to go make people laugh. I'm going to go make people happy because I'm not, I'm not a martial artist. I'm not going to kick people as hard. I'm not, you know, catch as catch can. I'm not going to do an absolute technical display or anything daft like this. Wrestling, in my opinion, is just, is just marketing in shiny pants. You need to find a USP. You need to find out how you're going to stand out, how you're going to earn your wage and get your next booking more importantly. So, you know, it is selfish in a, sense but sometimes i'm funny because i know no one else is going to be as funny on that card you know if it's already if there's already an established comedy match on there i'm not going to do that much comedy in my match because what's the point like i want to be remembered for me being me and like if there's already someone doing that on the card then sod that i'm going to fit in where i you know i'm going to fit in where i stand out um speaking of of standing out uh, so this brings us to November 18 uh, <laughs> it is the survival lumberjack match uh, Discovery Wrestling 
uh, where you're against uh, Sugar Dunkerton. Now, for, for those that are, that are unaware of what a Survivor Lumberjack match is, uh, it's it's a much it's much like the Miz versus Damien Priest that recently happened in WWE. It's a zombie lumberjack match. Um, how was this approach to you? What were your thoughts on it? And uh, how 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 did uh, you and uh, and Shug uh, kind of approach this match? So I'd forgotten almost that this match existed until Miz v uh, Damien Priest came on, and then. Everyone was like, oh, these guys did this, but way better in, back in 2018. And then I was listening to an American podcast where they ended up just reviewing the entire match. And I was like, oh, yeah, we did some really dumb stuff in that match. But it was so fun. So I, I think Alan brought it up to me when I was doing hosting duties for Discovery's Summer Party or one of the shows they did before. Um, uh, yeah, and he brought it up to me and said, you know, the zombie lumberjack match. He knew the guy who ran the zombie experiences in Edinburgh and he was going to get him down. It was this, that, and the other. And I, I didn't know I was dying at the time. Um, <laughs> but it was just madness. And I think... I think if you play it too seriously, um, like, you know... Uh, priest and Miz did then it's the case of like no one's no one's going to buy into it because everyone knows zombies aren't real and we want to believe that wrestling is whereas if you if you uh, focus on the absurdity of it then people will buy into it then people will be like you know I'm, I'm in a me and Shug are just in the middle of the match saying why are we doing this like you know what is happening? Why are they, why are there zombies here? Like we questioned in that match, like the whole logic of it. And because, you know, we did that, then the fans who have already accepted, why are there zombies in this? As soon as the wrestlers also accept that question, they're like, they're like okay, they know how stupid this idea is. We can buy into it. Uh, I, I came into that match with zero ideas because I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how many zombies we'd have. I didn't know there'd be uh, a guy with a pulsar rifle that I stole and, you know, threatened to kill Sugar Dunkerton with unless he killed himself. We got dark in there and he was, you know, we got political in there, like I pointed a gun to his head and he's like, man, I thought we left America. Um, we did a whole thing where I got bit and my hand became possessed and just started choke slamming everything until I G'd up the Ainsley Lariat. We had an agreement that's what we're going to do, and I chokeslammed myself. Um, God, that match was madness. But that's, that was something that I really enjoyed. Me and Shug got to go out there and, again, stand out, because we're going to buy into this. We're going to do what we can. There's never going to be another zombie lumberjack match is what, what we thought. So... Let's, let's make this the most memorable thing that we can. Shug did his thriller thing at the end. I came back as a zombie. I tried to eat him. Uh, yeah, and it, it gave birth to The Undertaker, uh, where I got to beat up Shug a lot as well. I uh, beat up Martina again as The Undertaker, Shady Natras. You know, that was a really fun time after that zombie lumberjack match. It was, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> a zombie lumberjack match really kind of led on to a whole different strain of my career. When you when you break down and you've spoken, it's like how 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 wrestling is just the weirdest, most wonderful thing. Uh, when when you just casually go in pulse rifle, <laughs> just pretending to just, just shoot someone, and uh, yeah, of course, it's then that led what well, well just. Break just before Monday Taker starts and just go to a little bit later in 2019. Because you end up having quite a few big opponents. You had uh, Veda Scott at Riptide uh, and you had Joey Janela at, P- at uh, IPW, not 1PW, that's way back in the past, uh, uh, at uh, IPW. Um, so, of course, Joey Janela, well known for his kind of death defying yeah. antics. Uh, how was it like going to that? I don't know if it was a death match or if you end up doing anything like no, that or it was just a straight match. It was mental. So this is after IPW had just been taken over by, oh God, I can't even remember his name now. He owed a lot of people money. Um, and it was the case of, at the previous show, they were just like, who do you want to see wrestle Joey Janela? And everyone just yelled Gene Money because it was in my hometown at the time. Uh, like I wasn't booked on that show, but everyone was like, yeah, book Gene Money. And then I got a load of texts saying, you're wrestling Joey Janela in September. Um, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, it was three days, no, four days after he wrestled that triple threat with Darby Allen, where he went off that giant, was it in some sort of wooden drum? He jumped off the top, some cracker barrel thing. Oh, of course, yeah. Metal triple threat match. And like, this was Joey Janela at probably he's like peak, everyone kind of wanted to see him kind of thing. I mean, he's still incredible you know what he does and things like that i'm not disparaging that but this was like AEW was fresh it was shiny and new this was a huge mental match and then three four days later he's flying to england for one match and it's against me but joe was great like i'd love to wrestle that guy again like it's it was a different experience for me and i'd love to get that again uh, he seems like a kind of guy because because of discovery's reputation for bringing in these these outside indie names he seems like a guy that would definitely be in that kind of remit. So, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm not requesting crowd. I think a Discovery crowd would eat him up, you know, like, that'd be incredible, like, to get that. Um, but, yeah, that, that that entire week in wrestling was one of my favourite weeks in wrestling because I had him on the Wednesday. I had Chris Brooks a few days before who opened up my chest with some chops. Then Janela opened up my chest further and I just remember seeing the white IPW logo canvas and just red drops falling from my chest because I got chopped so hard. Uh, And then I had Progress debut that weekend after that and it was a, yeah, it was a solid week of wrestling, that. Uh, And then the other match I've got noted before we go back to Undertaker uh, is the Bander match. So... Of course, we spoke about zombie survival, which is a bit out there in terms of concept. And then you've got the Bander match with uh, Chief Deputy Dunn. Um, I, I don't know how to even start describing that. But uh, what, was, what was your thoughts of, of the concept of the Bander match? Well, it was my concept. Um, uh, Tuesday Night Graps was formerly run by IPW, um, but then... They just weren't doing anything. So the guys who were booking it were just like, no, we're going to do our own thing now. We're going to take that venue. We're just going to run it ourselves under Chardon, Freud, and Friends. And I pitched this idea when I was backstage at Progress to um, 
it was either to Lycost or to Davis. And I was like, look, how about a match that's like the Bandersnatch Netflix special where me and whoever's in the ring, doesn't have to be me, but whoever's in the ring, there's a vote on what happens next. And we just, the people in the ring have just got to follow that. And I mean, it completely breaks what wrestling is. Like wrestling is supposed to be spontaneous and it's supposed to take you out of the fact that it's predetermined, you know, it's entertainment and Bandit Match really took the piss. Like it didn't just break the fourth wall. It just pointed at the fourth wall and miles away in the distance because it's already gone through it. And it was just like, this isn't, it's not only is it predetermined, you now can predetermine what happens. So it, it, it just, I, it, was, it was mental. Like the, the concept of it is absolutely mental. Um, so there was things like, you know, does Gene Money do something or does he do a sexy dance? And then everyone voted via the Twitter app and like every 15 seconds, like the horn goes off, it's G-Money, does a sexy dance. And so da 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 then Damo did one. And then, you know, who does this? Who does that? There was one bit where I was outside and then it was Gene Money gets a weapon from under the ring or all the fans throw their shoes at Gene Money. And like the footage will never get shown of it. But they were just, I got pelted with shoes. I got voted to uh, force feed Damien Dunn a stick of butter, which was hilarious because he was on a very strict diet where he couldn't eat after a certain time. And there's me forcing a stick of butter into his mouth. Um, and then I hit him with a lariat. And it's like, Gene Money goes for the pin or Gene Money does something crazy. Obviously, people are going to vote something crazy. So I go up to the top rope and I'm like, no way, I'm voting for this. I could win this match. And then it's like, Gene Money does a move off the top rope or Gene Money does something even crazier. Obviously, they're going to vote for crazier. So I climb up to the balcony. Um, and it's like, Gene Money dives off the balcony or Gene Money falls off the balcony. And I'm just screaming like, you bastards, why are you doing this? Why are you voting for me to do this? Gene Money falls off the balcony. I see Damien just kind of stagger out the way. I was like, go, wham, straight onto the floor. Um, and the twist was like, that was almost the end of the match. Uh, but then I, I think I hit him with the lariat. Uh, I go for the lariat and he get, yeah, they vote for who wants to win the match. You know, Chief Deputy Dawn and Gene Money wins the match. They vote for Gene Money. I go for the lariat. He rolls me up with the tights regardless, gets the pin, you know, proper middle finger to the crowd kind of thing. And then the vote is... Uh, <laughs> Damien Dunn dies or Damien Dunn dies and obviously everyone votes for him to die and I pull a knife out of nowhere and just shank him to death and then lose my mind because what have I done <laughs> it was wild it was wild um, and then we did this whole thing where I was so racked with guilt that I tried to bring him back from the dead uh and accidentally put his mind in my body and my mind in his body. Then we did like this whole uh, character switch for, you know, for the next few shows. So I was chief deputy done for the next few shows. And yeah, it was wild times, man. Like I miss shot and grabs so much because that's where you get to do the stuff where wrestling is pure entertainment. They're going to have belters on the card. Absolutely. But like me, 
Chief Deputy Don Santos versus Cal Fletcher, Chris Brooks, and um, uh, Takeshita from uh, DDT and AEW recently. Like, we ended up doing a six-person Russian leg sweep off the balcony through a load of plastic crates um, just shattered underneath. There's like, we got to do mad stuff there. And it, it generally, in wrestling, one of my favorite times. Tuesday nights were always the best nights. As far as the, the body swap thing, how much did uh, Chief Deputy Dunn dislike the, the nipple plasters? Um, you know, I, I... Yeah, I think he... Because he, he, obviously it was me and his body, so he... Like he was wearing them, he he was he, he, you know he was professional. He went straight into that gimmick, and yeah, uh, then it end. You know he was professional. I he did me almost as well as I could do me, so that was great. But then we did the whole thing of I finally got my mind back, but I got amnesia, and they told me I joined the anti-fun police as their police dog. So that was the you know, that was the rest of the gimmick for me. Your wrestling is wonderful. I'm just <laughs> this, this is just. It, it's, yeah, pure entertainment. Right, we're going to jump back to, to Mundertaker then. So, of course, okay. the Mundertaker uh, returned January yeah. 2019 uh, against Session Moth Martina. Uh, yeah. Under the guise of... Challenge, I think. I've got to note it down as Moth Lesnar. As, uh, <laughs> Lesnar. <laughs> that's, that's what the Germans exactly. are calling him, so I'm, I'm just calling her, not him, uh, calling her, uh, so that's what we'll go with. Um, which also included the, the infamous gifable moment of the sit-up. Yes, the beautiful sit-up. Like, uh, yeah, that was... Um, I'm, I'm sure it was... I'm sure it was planned, but uh, it just felt magic when we did it. The reaction from the crowd, because as soon as I sat up and she sat up, like, everyone was like... Sorry, just plug my phone in. Uh, everyone knew what was coming, and it was... Uh, yeah, it was it was stupid. It was fun, and um, yeah, it was it was it was great to pile drive moth into the canvas. And then, of course, you said you had a match with the Shady, uh, and then again back with with Shug for his soul this time. So I took Shug's soul from him, so he became a, a, a nerdy white man, um, which was hilarious. Um, yeah, came into the ring wearing goggles and things like that, you know, to protect his eyes and things like that. And it ended up with us in a steel cage, like the big blue old fashioned steel cage. Like, I love the design of that thing, but it sucks because when you hit that thing, it's just you don't hear it because it's massive metal cage. Like, with the chicken wire style, you can make a real good rattle. So, you just throw yourself into it and it's just. And he's like, oh, man, give me some more noise. Come on. So you're just throwing yourself to try and make a racket in this thing. Yeah, me and Shug did a lot. I, I think I preferred our match where I took his soul. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, the steel cage was a lot of fun. So much fun. And he, he, he gave me back my soul, I think, afterwards. I'm not sure how he did it. But uh, that was the end of The Undertaker. It was his brief stint. His, uh, you know, 11-month stint as uh, the dead Mon. Honestly, at that point, you just don't need to worry about the details when it comes to returning the soul at that point, I think. <laughs> that's not the, like the details ruin a good story, you know. But, like, 
I remember the first time going out through that curtain as the Undertaker. I was cracking my pantaloons because it was just like moths doing an open challenge. And I need to ex- I need to hope that people have seen the zombie lumberjack match. I need to hope that people understand why I'm the Undertaker now. Uh, are they going to react? But I walked through that curtain and everyone was like, "Oh wow, that's absolutely ridiculous!" And I was like, "Oh good, good. Everyone everyone got it." And then it was just fun from there, and I enjoyed singing Taker's music when I was doing old school, like going up to the top rope and just going, you done it now, you're gonna make a big mistake. Um, yeah, so, so stupid. But you could you could really take the mick out of that. And um, yeah, it was, if it, I, I, I wish I could just really, really just wipe my feet on the legacy of wrestling legends all the time because... It's the easiest job in the world. <laughs> it, it, it really, I'm, I'm loving that you went for American Badass Taker to go for the, the music. That just, yeah, inspired. Well, uh, my plan eventually was to come out and do rolling. So I was going to be in full biker taker style with the big blue jeans, the singlet, and I wanted to come out on a mobility scooter, but I could never get one. So maybe, so maybe there'll be an Undertaker part two in the future, possibly. I mean, I need to die again, but sure. I'm sure, I'm sure Alan's probably got a note, notes already ready to, to <laughs> with an idea. Uh, and then, of course, we, you got your soul back and we had our discovery story in February 20 for, I think it was all about the raffle. Uh, yeah. You in the main event against Joe Coffey. So this is, again, very different. This isn't, this is less uh, the, the comedy gene money. It's more the wrestler gene money. And I um, think that's kind of what it, it needed because I think comedically I'd done everything I could at Discovery in a sense. Like I, I think at this point in wrestling, was this early 2020, like I'd started to almost get, you know, trying to get a name for myself on the British indie, indie circuit. I was doing my Gene for Super Strong Style 16 campaign with Progress. Um, I was trying to get everywhere I could. I was wrestling three, four times a week, which was really nice, like, yeah, um, and then this match comes up, and it's like we want to show that Gene Money can go. And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's great. I'd love to do that." Um, so I was supposed to be getting a train up to Edinburgh that morning. Uh, I look at the thing. This is when the beast from the east, no, not the beast from the east, one of them horrible storms was kicking off, and uh, I looked, and my train had a five-hour delay on it, and I was like, "Well." I'm not going to make it to the show in time if that's the case. So I tell Alan, look, I'm sorry, but the trains aren't going. Um, I'm happy to do the six hour drive and get up there, but I need to know now what I'm doing. And so Alan says to me, can you get to Heathrow in, you know, two hours time? I was like, yeah, let's do it. There's still one plane going to, uh, there's still one plane going to Edinburgh. So I park up at Heathrow run for my flight, get on the flight, get there. Trams aren't working, so I've got to get a bus into Edinburgh City Centre, walk my way to the Jam House, uh, do my match. I had a really good time in there. I learned a lot. Um, I think it was a good match. Um, kind of, it did the point. Like, it told the story that Gene Money's more than that kind of comedic wrestler. And then I was like, I have no idea how I'm getting back. <laughs> But the thing is, I love Discovery. I love wrestling. And, you know, I would have taken all of the 
six hour journeys in the world to get there that day. I would have fought against the storm to get to Discovery because that place feels like home. That's my safe place in that ring at Discovery because it's just the fans are great. Discovery itself is great. Just going, just the atmosphere there and everything along those lines. Um, you know, it's a brilliant place to work. So I would have done everything. So I had to get a train back at like half five, six a.m. and then that train got cancelled. So I called up Alan like six a.m. just saying, "Look, my train's got cancelled. This one's still going. I'm getting this." And he's like, "Just get it. I'll give you the money for it." Got on that train. Had to go into London. Back to Heathrow. Get and pick up my car. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then got caught in traffic on the way home. And a oh, horrible journey, but 100% worth it. Uh, and that's that's where our discovery moment ends. But of course, that's not the end of your wrestling journey. So it was uh, February 20. Next month, the world ends. Pandemic hits. Yeah. Um, how did you keep yourself occupied, though, when, when the booking started getting cancelled, shows started getting cancelled, and you had no shows? Honestly, I hated it like so much so i was already looking to cancel some of my bookings my wife's high risk so it was like i can't put the safety of my family above that and it was it was tough but like i had some big things upcoming for me um like selfishly it, it really sucked i was supposed to be having a match with mark andrews the week after everything closed down a progress that was gonna be like my first big match there um you know, I had a lot of really cool things in the pipeline. Uh, and it's just like, no, no, take that away. And like, I'm, I'm a performer for the crowd. I hate like performing without one. Uh, and so you can do as much as you can through like socials and Twitter and things like that. But it hits me hard because I'm, I'm not just like a, a dancing monkey as such. I need that kind of if you look at my wrestling style and the comedy style, I'm very much call and response. Put something out there, see how the crowd react, go from what the crowd react to. So, like, it really took its toll on me. And you see all the... Seeing all the shows get cancelled and then being told things are getting postponed until August and then October and then December. And it's just like, is wrestling ever going to come back? And then, obviously, with speaking out and things like that, speaking out was, frankly, deserved in our industry that unbeknownst to a lot of us there are a lot of predators in this industry and i'm really glad to see the back of them kind of thing it's um but they damage this industry a lot um something i care deeply about is this industry british wrestling uh and to see it take such a toll with speaking out with the pandemic things along these lines, it's just weight on the shoulders of a lot of wrestlers now to build this scene back up. Like British, British wrestling has taken a lot of beatings. Like you look at the amount of talent that can't be used anymore for contractual reasons, things like this. Now I'm not against anybody getting a contract or anything along those lines. Hell, go make your money, go live your dreams, go for it. But our industry gets weaker because of that. We've got to keep building. We've got to keep fighting. Because one day we want to be in the same position. Like, honestly, we want to get signed. We want to go on contracts. We want to make big money. You know, we want to turn our passion into our careers. Um, but we can't do that when British wrestling is weakened to the level it has been. So 
yeah, I know we've gone kind of serious here, Billy, but um, like, yeah, the pan- everything over the past year has sucked and we have a, a long way to go ahead of us to get it back to that place where it was because wrestling is brilliant. Wrestling is beautiful. Wrestling is just this phenomenal art form. It's underappreciated as hell, but it is what it is. We know what we're doing and I just cannot wait to just show the world once again what English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish wrestling can be. And yeah, put a lot more smiles back on people's faces because frankly the world needs that right now. Uh, I mean I don't want to I don't I don't like I don't know enough about the speaking out movement for me to to speak about it in de- in depth or, or or anything like that. Um I just know the bits that I've heard and then I like I said I don't want to That's I've heard a podcast about it because I don't it's a horrific topic. Like the amount of people who have been hurt in this is is horrible, to be honest. To be a part of an industry like that and is, you know, you almost get this ignorance guilt for not knowing and not stopping things earlier. But how would you stop it? You never knew it happened. So after that, uh, of course, the, the wrestling isn't over for you. Uh, of course, you are on the, on the shows of progress, uh, of course, on the WWE Network. Um, so when did you find out that you'll be wrestling on the WWE Network? So I found out when it was supposed to happen last October, but then we had the whole new round of the pandemic and um, I had a great idea that was going to go on. It was like, we're going to be doing some tapings in October. Um, I think I was going to be wrestling LJ Cleary. I could be wrong on that, but that was going to be a sick match. Um, and I want to do this whole gimmick where like the fans of, you know, the fans are the reason Gene Money exists in progress. They, they asked for me. And then when I did the whole Super Strong Style campaign, they were behind me. Um, and that was great, but uh, without fans, I wanted to do a whole gimmick where I was like, the fans can't be there anymore for me, so I've got to be there for myself. And so I wanted there to be camera cuts to me as the fans during my own matches. <laughs> and it, I think it got the green light, but then they changed what they were kind of wanted to do. Um, and then I found out, oh, don't worry because of the pandemic and everything like tapings are being moved to December. I was like, great. Like this was, this was my happy spot hearing this was going to happen, but it was like, it's going to be taking place on the 20, I think it was like the 27th and 28th of December or something along those lines. Um, and I was like, look, if that's the case and you've got to isolate for two weeks beforehand, cause that was the rules. Um, I was like, I'm spending Christmas at home on my own with my wife. Like, I was like, Lex, my wife, you can go. Do you see your family? This, that, and the other. But this is this is a huge opportunity for me. I want to do it by the rules. Like, this was the biggest opportunity for me. Um, uh, and then you know, pandemic rules changed again, and no one was allowed Christmas. So the tapings got moved to January. Um, and yeah, they were they were great, but they were weird. Like, I'm a call and response wrestler. I can do as much calling as I want, but there's no responding. So it was tough for someone like me to get to grips with that because without all the, you know, daft stuff I do, I'm just a wrestler. And there are so many wrestlers, wrestlers, who are just way better than me in that field. So it's like, what can I, what can I do to, uh, you know, hop on with this? So uh, fortunately... I got teamed up with Big Guns Joe, uh, a fantastic wrestler from Manchester, and didn't intend to get teamed up with Joe. It was kind of a happy accident. 
and you know, I got to have a lot of tag team fun. So I get to call all my nonsense to uh, my tag team partner and fingers crossed he laughs at me and then I can go from there. But it's fine. It's just things like, you don't realise how valuable a crowd is until you've got one. So uh, like you've both taken a knock and you go to the ground and like, you know if you've been on the ground too long because the crowd's, you know, reactions start to fade. When it starts to fade, you're like, no, we need to get these reactions back. Let's get up and let's carry on. But you take that knock in the thingies and you are down and you're just like, oh my God, I don't know when to stand up. It becomes the weirdest thing. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, you never outlearn, you know, you never get out to ride a bicycle. But it's like, here's a bicycle, but it has no handlebars this time. You're like, I'm pretty sure I can ride this, but I have no idea. Um, and then, of course, then it became WWE Network as well. So you're, if someone searches for Gene Snitsky, <laughs> you pop up as well. Yeah, <laughs> so. if you search Gene Money, you get a big picture of Gene Oakland. Um, uh, yeah, and then you get all of my matches. And there are some, there are some good ones on there, some I'm very happy with. Um, like me v Elijah, the second match. Elijah's a fantastic talent. He should be more places. Um, uh, yeah, our rematch that was a great time. Uh, I don't know when this is going out, but um, me and Big Guns v Lycos Jim for the tag team championships as a week on Saturday. Um, don't know what that day that is. Um, just just look on online. Um, the next progress show, whatever that is. Um, yeah, we're going for the tag team championship match. You know, it's pre-recorded. I can tell you right now, it's a very good match. Um, very fun. Um, and, and you had that and you also had, uh, well, we'll get to, to Front of the Crowd again because you just recently had a match Front of the Crowd, but you also did uh, Charles Crowley's You're Cordially Invited uh, thing. Yeah, also. So Charles, Crowley, Charles Crowley is a phenomenal author. He's... He's a creative genius. Um, I am both jealous and fearful of that man's mind. Uh, he sent me the script of what he wanted to do for your cordial invited. I was like, you're not going to pull this off at all. I thought this was a fever dream. Like, he just comes out with this, this and it's like this incredible premise. But I was like, there's no way he can pull this off. And then I see his book Flights for Martina and... You know, he's got all these talents on board. And there were some other ones who couldn't make it. Unfortunately, it would have been a great addition. Um, and it was just a fantastic day because that was my first time back with human beings. Like we had to take a COVID test before we went and things like that. But just being around wrestlers again, that was my first opportunity since pandemic hit. Uh, and it was amazing. Like, it was like nothing I'd done before. It was a 13-hour day, but... What, what a day that was um if you've not watched it just google you are cordially invited and it's it's madness it's manic uh but it's it's fantastic he's he's a fantastic filmmaker and i am terrified to see what he does next i'm, I'm just looking at the time i'm very aware that i've taken up a lot of your time this evening so i'll wait a, we're gonna pick pick and choose other bits and then we'll we'll kind of wrap up uh your false count anywhere match with breed Again, Martina. Um, yeah. Whose idea was it to have it never end? 
<laughs> uh, I, well, so we got booked by Breed. Uh, I'll make it as quick as I can. Uh, I got booked just for a segment, like a, a, a talk segment. I didn't think it made much sense personally against Martina. Like Martina was there, but just for a promo. I was like, why aren't you using us together? And so it was like, how about this? How about, we know there's no time to put us on a match on the show. So why don't we have a full scout anywhere match? And we will just run through the crowd fighting during parts of the show. So we don't take any more time on the show. We can get some backstage skits, things like this, and we can just go. And it was like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Um, and then, so I think it was going to be like a best of three between the two of us. And then it was Martina who said, how about we ne have this never end? And I was just, I love the thought of it. So we could just keep fighting. We got a load of skits done. Um, yeah, just so, so much fun doing that. And again, she's fantastic. And Brie gave us that opportunity. It was going to end in a death match in a cave, but that didn't happen. So uh, yeah, I guess we're still fighting. Uh, and then of course, well, I'll ask you my, my two super questions and I'll ask about your about being in front of a crowd for the first time in ever. Uh, what's your favourite dinosaur? Uh, I like uh, an ankylosaur. Uh, the one with a big old swinging maces on their tail, like. Sorry, it's, it's barely, I, I've got a lot of T-Rexes just recently. I'm glad that we've got something uh, out of the box a little bit. And the other one we ask is, what would win a fight, two sheep or one cow? I, one cow could take, like, if it falls on a person, can kill a person. So the cow's winning that one, 100%. Uh, so I'm just getting there, by the way. The first match in front of a crowd since March 2020. Yeah. How was that? Like, amazing. Like, I worked out last Saturday, or whenever this goes out, the Saturday, it was just... It was beautiful. Like, it was a small socially distanced crowd, so I think it was only 50 people in the house. But that 50 people felt like when I worked, walked out to Ali Pali in front of 2000, it was, it was beautiful. Like, it was just a reminder of there are people still here who care about wrestling. And that was just so nice to hear, so responsive, just people there for a good time. And that's what wrestling should be. Um, and yeah, just had the best time. It was, it was so nice. Just... I, I got emotional there. Like, again, 50 people, uh, but it, it meant the world to me. And I would score, I've got a comment from Brent Carter, uh, who wrestles, who was trained to be a wrestler up here in Scotland. Uh, he didn't have a question. He just wanted to let you know that you are his girlfriend's favourite wrestler. Hey, um, well, that's fantastic. He did, really did add it was annoying because, you know, he, he is also trying to become a wrestler uh, but she seems to like you more than she likes him so well I mean it, it just just train hard and you'll be a better wrestler than me in no time so don't worry about it. Uh, so as far as the future then you've had your first match back the crowd you, your your response and and all that is is coming back uh, what's your what's your dream what's your opponent who, who are you wanting to face um when, when at all possible, uh, make it as, as wild as you want. Aisley Harriet, Dave Benson Phillips, nothing's off the table. I want John Cena in a working man's club in front of 100 people not filmed. I want to give 100 people the opportunity to see a once in a lifetime match between me and the greatest wrestler alive in 
a match that no one ever will believe that ha- happened. No phones allowed, no cameras allowed to be taken. This match is, this show is going to be something that is going to go down in myth and legend. And but remember that time John Cena worked Gene Money in that working men's club. People go, that didn't happen. That's just a rumor. I'm like, yeah, I want people to think of that. I want a, I want a myth and legendary match that no one sees. That is the best answer that I could have ever hoped for. <laughs> um, so where can people find you on social media? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter at I'm So Money. Um, I think I'm on Gene Money, just at Facebook and Instagram. If you head over to damndirtydog.co.uk or goodboygang.com, you can find my merch. New merch coming out soon-ish, probably when wrestling comes back. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, that's it. I'm, I'm wrestling at Catch in Manchester at the end of July. Um, I've got a few surprise gigs that I can't mention yet. And you can check me out uh, fortnightly on the WWE Network. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, fortnightly, Saturday, 5 o'clock. Uh, i got Lycos Gym for the Tag Team Championships. Uh, I hope I'll win. Perfect. Well, wonderful. Thank you very much for joining me today. No, thank you, Billy. It's been a great time. I get to talk about myself. Like, it's a wrestler's dream. <laughs> that, that's, that's all I can provide. I'm, I'm glad I can do that. <laughs>